You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hi, welcome to Music Tectonics. I'm Tristra New Year Jaeger, and today I'm joined by Eleanor Rust. We're both part of the team at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music tech PR firm, and we're both gearing up for our big annual music tech event, Music Tectonics, which will be happening both in the metaverse, somewhere floating in the ether, and in LA this autumn. So, uh, you know, but don't worry, this whole podcast will not be an ad for the conference. We're just trying to get you psyched up um, by talking about some of the latest news. So, Eleanor, why don't you let folks know about your role in music tectonics and uh, why you're here with me today? <laughs> Hey, Tristra. Uh, So my role at Music Tectonics is a lot about getting the word out. So if you've gotten newsletters or um, information about registering for the conference, that comes from me. I have so many things I am excited to share about Music Tectonics in the coming weeks. So I'm just going to tease some topics here, and maybe we can talk a little bit about what's happening in the news that's getting us excited about bringing people together to discuss these topics at the conference in October and November. So one thing everybody's talking about, of course, is NFTs, but we're also thinking about what the future is for digital collectibles. What's it going to take for a mass music audience to really fall in love with digital collectibles and bring them to the rest of their online lives? Um, We're also looking at a lot of what's going on with just the whole audio space. Music is just taking, music is taking its place in a whole audio universe from podcasts to interactive audio to clubhouse and all of its clones. So um, yeah, so let's let's dive into some of the uh, some of the exciting stories that have been happening lately. Oh, absolutely. So what I was thinking um, is we can hit on some themes that are kind of you know, that, that will help us weave together this news and turn it from sort of disparate rando information that we get in all these newsletters, et cetera, and into something that starts to tell an interesting story about where we are in music tech. So as you mentioned, Eleanor, digital collectibles, it's, you know, we kind of started out last year with this amazing, um, I mean, NFTs have been around for a, a while in, well, a relatively long while if we're talking in like crypto blockchain terms, but everybody kind of woke up to them when some major auctions happened. And one of those first really um, sort of, uh, let's call it a, a big hit auctions came from an artist named Blau. That's with the three instead of the B in front. And um, this electronic artist kind of made a big splash because he sold an NFT uh, at a really, really high price. And then there were other folks like Grimes and some other people that you, you know, the sort of usual suspects you'd expect to jump on this kind of bandwagon, who also um, did some pretty, uh, you know, rip-roaring sales when it comes to auctions. Um, however, we're sort of kind of seeing things shifting gears a little bit. Obviously, <laughs> there's only so many people in the world that can drop a couple mil on, um, uh, you know, what's effectively a JPEG with an MP3 and a special file protocol behind it. Um, so we're looking at artists really digging into what is going to make a difference for them in the long run. And Blau, once again, is leading the pack with um, what he's calling Royal. It is a platform. So in general, we're seeing artists founding platforms instead of just putting out um, you know, NFTs or kind of cooperating with an existing marketplace to hold an auction. Um, and Blau is focusing in particular on... Um, 
on music rights and royalties, which is a very interesting area. Um, like, <laughs> like crypto, um, whenever you start selling future revenues um, on an asset, you start to wiggle towards the securities world. So I know Blau in, in the coverage has mentioned that he's got lawyers looking into this. Um, that's going to be an interesting space to watch. Uh, right. To it's see. A, <laughs> yeah. It's a, right. It's a new gray area. Um, these areas that used to be really cordoned off from each other. What happens when music's, musicians' sales start to look like securities? How is that regulated? Yeah. And there's, for, for certain formats, there's already, I mean, the SEC has already approved under um, Reg A uh, the, the sale of, like, sh- of shares of future. Um, a future revenue on on various assets like publishing rights, etc. And that's, that's really exciting. But like when you add NFTs to the mix, how's that going to play out? That's going to be interesting. Um, and, yeah. you know, interesting in the, the sort of curse, <laughs> the sort of curse <laughs> right. context. Yeah, it's right. going to be very interesting. It is exciting to see, uh, see uh, artists entrepreneurial bent uh, come back to music that, um, you know, we've heard so much about artists talking about their music, really being the lost leader. And, mm-hmm. and the money they make is from is from their other their other business ventures in fashion, um, in endorsements in in um, celebrity appearances, etc. And so it's really exciting to see um, to see well like the um, the story of immersive entertainment that was just announced, uh, Flow Rida and other partners uh, tying NFTs to a streaming platform to bring it back to you know bring it back to listening to distributing music. Yeah, and the the fact that these uh, you know uh, Flow Rida and his team are talking about e NFTs um, in that they are immersive, so. <laughs> spelled with an E, because uh, that's the name of their of their company. So I think they're trying to think of what can we do with NFTs to make it much more of an interesting experience for uh, for music fans, for entertainment fans. So it's not just like the glory of owning this kind of file, um, but that there's also some sort of interactive thing, which is another aspect of NFTs that we're going to get to pr- explore more at Music Tectonics. I mean, there Absolutely. are folks like Async um, Art that do programmable a- NFTs that have different layers and you can mess around with them and make them respond to different parameters. It's really cool stuff. So this is like we're just at the beginning of how we could turn these digital assets or digital collectibles into something that feels truly exciting and that really departs from the pre-NFT norms, like breaking away right. from what, you know, from physical objects and the, and imitating them or, um, you know, collectibles as we think of them mm-hmm. now in the physical world. So there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it breaking away from the sort of uh, commentary on the art market, which I feel is kind of how it burst into the news being so much about um, what the value is what you'll what you'll pay for it but yeah. there's so much potential in in bringing it to mass audiences to making it part of how uh, artists own their rights and how uh, how ordinary fans not just crypto savvy ones um, interact with their favorite artists and with the music they love yeah the user interface um, if you if you talk to folks at places like Audius or if you talk to I've heard some feedback from artists about using certain nft marketplaces minting an nft is not um, not all that straightforward and if you're an artist who's got like 50 other aspects of your career and assets to manage 
you know, you, you're gonna, mm-hmm. you're not gonna spend five hours like figuring out how to mint a fucking NFT. You're gonna, oh, excuse me, that's how to mint an <laughs> NFT. You're gonna, you're going to just move on or come up with something else that you'd rather do. Um, so getting the artist interface right and getting um, the right. fan interface right is going to be really, really key to mass ad- adoption. And um, fortunately, there's been a ton of progress on the fan side or on the purchaser side. And it sounds like there's uh, a lot of ideas about how to make it better for artists minting things. So um, I want to talk now about, um, this is sort of getting a little meta, Eleanor. Yes. But I want to talk about audio. So talking about audio on a podcast, we're podcasting about podcasting about podcasting or something. Um, I'm already dizzy. so audio is there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on that isn't necessarily front and center in maybe music tech um folks minds and one of the things i just saw a story today in the guardian about um and you know this is today meaning a few days ago for those of you listening at home um but there is a great article about a record label that specializes in creating albums to go along with novels so this sort of super enhanced audiobook experience since audiobooks are growing at a much faster rate than um, uh, than print books. So print books had a great year in 2020. So mm-hmm. that whole area is really, really lively. And um, the and music is starting to play a bigger and bigger role in audiobook experiences, thanks in part, I think, to podcasts, mm-hmm. both fictional and non, non-fiction podcasts. So um, that space is starting to get super interesting. Um, one thing you mentioned that was kind of cool was Clubhouse. And... You know, it was, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? It's so interesting how hot it was for what felt, you know, what felt like a brief amount of time, launched so many clones. Um, and uh, even though it's no longer sort of like the hot exclusive clubhouse that it felt like it was in the spring, um, it definitely opened up people's eyes to social audio and its potential. Um I just I just saw a, a news story that Clubhouse is considering adding spatial audio so that you have a, more of a sense of being in the room. Um, and so I think it, that all points to this bleeding over of audio silos, right? That we had podcast in their little silo and audiobooks in their silo and music in its in its uh, silo. And now things like Clubhouse are showing how. Uh, people really are hungering to cross those experiences to get interactive. Um, that social audio isn't just the holy grail of of uh, social music that uh, um, nobody seems to have really quite got right yet. Um, it's all of these kinds of audio experiences. And the interesting thing, Eleanor, is each one of these silos had its own very specific model. So if you're looking at an audiobook, you're paying about the same as a print book or an ebook. If you're looking at a podcast, you may be paying everything from nothing to a tiny fraction of your monthly subscription to maybe you're supporting that podcast on Patreon or you go to Stitcher Premium or something and sign up for it. And then you look at music, and there's a really interesting um, bit of commentary recently from Music Business Worldwide, which asked an important question, which is, Spotify is giving podcasters perks. Why don't the why don't independent music artists get these same perks? So the perks yes. being um, the ability to, to uh, create a subscription uh, approach. Mm-hmm. To actually be monetized through Spotify directly to fans rather than exactly. only getting a streaming payout, but also uh, the 
capacity to directly contact your fans to actually get the contact information, which is something that artists have been clamoring for and something that, you know, a whole, whole minor industry is built around understanding fan behavior on Spotify because it's just not there in Spotify for artists. And Music Business Worldwide pointed out that Spotify toyed with the idea of bringing more creator tools like that to artists when they started to think about getting into digital distribution a couple years ago mm-hmm. when they bought distro or at least a share in DistroKid yep. and and beta tested uh, direct uploads to Spotify that would then push to other streaming services uh, and then they got cold feet so Understandably. Sure, sure. (laughs) I would not want to be in charge of the Spotify team trying to like (laughs) get Apple Music to, hey, this guy uploaded this shit here. And and of course it's good. Of course it's not. And trying to, you know, detecting fraud, detecting all sorts of other um, content problems. Yeah. Yes. They they must have realized how, why, why it's a uh, um, complicated problem. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it's interesting that uh, that, uh, they decided that it's worth it for podcasting, perhaps to woo the podcasters who are already getting access to that on other platforms. Mm -hmm. Like Stitcher Um, and Apple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Perhaps even to woo them away from um, independent subscriptions through something like Patreon. Yep. We'll yeah, see. it's it's going to be a very interesting time. The other mm-hmm. interesting aspect of all this is there is ar- there's already sort of an ad ecosystem for podcasts. Mm-hmm. Now it's one that is problem has trouble. Excuse right. me. It's, well, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's had some of the same problems. Yeah, right. But it's constructed so differently than mm-hmm. than many ad environments. It does, I guess, because it's developed recently. Uh, it doesn't. It's not saddled with the internet advertising problems. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't have the growing pains of the early two thousands. So, it's- and the host role is so important. So you know, I'm obsessed with you know, enter product X here yes, is yes. a great selling point when it comes to selling these ads yeah. and how that would work for an audiobook or music. Oh. I mean, I could totally can imagine. You think, can you yeah. imagine product placement in an audiobook? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine it, but I don't know if, if readers <laughs> yeah. or listeners are going to want to imagine it. And then sure. what, what if you're listening to an album and then all of a sudden you're like going totally fangirl on this MC or whatever, or it's someone like an ele- you know electronic music artist who's mostly instrumental or uses feature vocals or whatever. And all of a sudden this dude breaks in and mumbles something about like how, how he's <laughs> obsessed with, with a certain energy drink or something. And you're like, this is so... That would totally uh, harsh your mellow, for lack of a better way to put it. <laughs> it's you know? it's true. There was a good piece from Real Life about um, about why podcast ads seem to be so compelling and why platforms like uh, Amazon and Spotify seem to be willing to invest so much more in podcast advertising mm-hmm. right now. Um, just talking about how even a, an ad that is hum- you know a humorous take, even if it's um, seems to be almost poking fun at the uh, uh, at the product. Um, it's still powerful for name recognition. It's powerful because people don't skip over podcast mm-hmm. host read ads as much as they would any other kind of advertisement. Um, so there's something about that, that uh, building it into the podcast experience that makes it powerful and valuable. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if uh, the future of that kind of audio advertising um, might shape more around the spoken word experiences can, that you might 
that you might gain as a as a super fan rather than the, mm-hmm. the music experience. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, there was a story about Amazon. This was a few weeks back now, but a story about Amazon's leaning into buying popular podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bloomberg was talking about how um, this makes sense for Amazon, who is a little behind on the um, adverti- compared to advertising juggernauts like Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. That Amazon, oh, yeah. um, Amazon leaning into podcast advertising, um, it's digging into that marketplace that's a little less, um, a little less over determined, <laughs> a little yeah. less. Uh, it's it's a little more wild west still. And- and in general, Amazon has been pursuing a pretty aggressive ad policy. I think it's after cloud services is probably one of their fastest growing mm-hmm. and most profitable um, mm-hmm. segments or whatever you want to call it, business business units. So mm-hmm. ads are incredibly important to Amazon. And yeah, I think that makes sense. They're trying to occupy this space, kind of like they've done with a lot of their content plays. Like they try to find uh, a, an audience or a space that's been really uh, poorly served and go after it with um, guns ablazing. And, and it looks like mm-hmm. that's what's happening too, though. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. going to be some interesting fallout from that in that, you know, traditional ad strategies may prove less desirable to uh, the core podcast audience. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this Wild West uh, gets regulated. <laughs> you know, how this Wild West becomes um, suburbanized. One other big, very hot space that is, I mean, it's become a buzzword of sorts is the quote unquote creator economy. And, you know, I I read a lot about the creator economy and part of me is like, I don't quite think anyone really knows what they mean when they say creator economy, but let's talk about it in terms of music. Um, In some ways, uh, you see a lot of interesting developments that suggest that the creator economy is merging with the fan economy or that there's going to become this sort of, uh, I don't know, you know, benevolent uh, circle of life Mm -hmm. for content. So you're or, you know, in this case, an artist records a really cool track and maybe puts out some of the stems and then fans remix it or make tributes to it or, you know, all these things. And in fact, I was thinking about this, you know, this morning that fandom has almost always been um, a way that works of art can have new life on the internet, right? So what are some of the first things that really flourished on the internet? No, no, not gambling and not not adult material, but also fan fiction, right? Fan fiction, um, fan art. All those things finally found a home because, you know, it's really hard when you're in, I don't know, suburban Topeka to go out and find the other person that's really obsessed with, I don't know, Babylon 5. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really hard to find them in person, but you can find them online fairly simply. And then you can start to exchange really weird stories that you've made Mm -hmm. up about your favorite characters, taking them into places that maybe no one ever imagined they would go. Right. Um, And those were, those were, those felt like secret subcultures at the time. mm -hmm. Uh, But we're now seeing those, um, that sort of fan creativity come much more to the four and uh i think the i think social media platforms where the creative creator economy flourishes have a lot to do with that that um aren't there studies about how um school children today they most they're um they're aspirational figures are youtube creators yeah. because they see they watch youtube videos they um they see youtubers doing fun things um 
they'd love to do the same thing. And I think every place where the creator, where creators and influencers flourish leads to imitation, um, leads to emulation. Um, and it definitely, it definitely feels circular. I'm curious to see how it evolves as generationally, right? Is that circle going to remain a circle or are we going to kind of keep spiraling forward? Right. Um, is the, is the influencer of tomorrow really going to look like, the influencer of today and how, yeah, I mean, how is a circular economy going to work? Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely, you know, there are, uh, there's a great, I, I bring this novel up a lot cause it's just such a great example and uh, of, of what could happen. Um, Werner Vangi has a novel called rainbows end. My apologies to all our listeners who've heard me go on about this before. I don't think <laughs> I've done it on the podcast though. So Werner Vangi um, imagines a world where you can instantly use, like, say, th- this cool dinosaur that someone uh, made in Peru in your virtual environment, and you do, like, a micropayment that instantly goes to that creator and their collaborators in, like, a deter- predetermined split, right? So it's it's kind of a fantastic fantasy wow. that I think a lot of us yeah. in music tech and in... No in, friction. In sort of, yes. No friction, no, um, no waiting for payouts, no black yeah. box. That sounds, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And in fact, um, there are lots of folks that are trying to build maybe the first layer of this um, this kind of system, uh, including things when people talk about DeFi, so that's blockchain-powered um, uh, financial tools, or even just, just you know traditional microfinance, so services for artists that allow them to not have to wait until they get their quarterly payout or not have to wait... Um, on, and you know to make the most of whatever assets they have. Look, so if you know that you're at the peak of your career and you're in the pop music business, you know like now is your, the time when you're going to have the most value. And maybe you want to capitalize on that to take some of that value out and turn it into a new project and have some capital to invest. So the, that whole world of creator tools I find really fascinating because I think they're just starting to have an impact on how people make stuff. And the the um, you know not to get too Marxist here, but like the the economic underpinnings are always going to influence how culture expresses itself mm-hmm. and what people are going to think of to do and be able to do. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens on that front. I mean, is it going to change some of the power dynamics? Is it That's good you know thing. yeah yeah yeah? It's um it's in some ways it's a logical flow from the rise of crowdfunding. Uh, but I'm really glad to see alternatives to that, right? I mean, I think um, I think uh, the most vocal person about that, of course, is Amanda Palmer. But uh, when you're crowdfunding, you're depending so entirely on banking on your persona, yeah. not on your not on other elements of your talent, right? Um, it turns the artist from uh, just a creator to a creator and also a fundraiser. Uh, and um, not everybody's career is uh, careers can be lucrative, but still not suitable for crowdfunding. And a lot of artists, you know, a lot of musicians want to make music. They don't want to make videos about why you should fund their next album. Mm-hmm. And so it's, they don't want to do TED talks yeah. about why you should crowdfund. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, crowdfunding is also it's like, what if you are from um, a community where you, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, you have a lot of fans, but none of them have a lot of money to send to you. Mm-hmm. That's but those those fans may have I mean, they have value as human beings and they and the, the relationship between music and listener is like a whole other thing. But they also if you have an audience, 
you know, they may have, um, you, you may have some clout in ways that aren't, doesn't, can't translate instantly into a hundred dollar donation right. in return for a t-shirt or whatever. Like, you know, either if you, whether your fans are really young, like you make music that 11 year olds love, or your fans are, um, again, from a part of the world or a marginalized community where there isn't a ton of just money flowing free. Um, that is, you know, that's, that's a question. And, you know, it kind of favors the already favored. So, mm, exactly. um, or the people with really great networks. Um, so, the, and that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the people who will make the best music. <laughs> no offense, Amanda, but. <laughs> so another interesting thing in the creator tools world is um, we're seeing all sorts of different workflows emerging. So um, if you look at like a map of the kind of things that have received investment um, in the quote unquote creator economy. Uh, Some of them are back office kind of things like financial stuff, like whether it's money management or how to generate capital or how to from, from your existing quote unquote assets, all that stuff. And then there's stuff about like, how do you make what you make? And that's another category of, um, you know, startups that have gotten some pretty decent funding. Um, the music space, it's not quite as active at this point, though maybe it will be once we see some other things come together in in, in the business. But um, it's interesting to start to see that there are sort of different, uh, different layers or different communities of creators who prefer different tools and different workflow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, we've talked about the democratization of distribution. I think we're getting to the democratization of creation in a whole Mm -hmm. new way uh, that is a big change from even five years ago, right? Where you had, maybe you had like the professional studio versus the home studio, the bedroom producer, the prosumer, like there are all sorts Mm -hmm. of nomenclature for for that person. But uh, everybody had to go get their tracks mastered from an expert. Or they they had, yeah, yeah, or they had to have some kind of hardware in their studio. So they needed a desktop or really good laptop. They needed some preamps, maybe. They needed a decent microphone if they were recording anything acoustically. Um, And that, but now things are starting to get more and more streamlined so that you can basically record some pretty decent music on your phone. Um, You may still need a mic, but you know, maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe they're, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting vocal well, plugins and things rolling out that right. Could there's change so that many too. ways to get started, and as you said, it's it, that different levels and types of creators can access what works for them and move up rather than rather than there being a really high bar to just get a track down. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we're going to have a lot more on this specific topic uh, coming up on the podcast because we have a number of interesting sponsors in the music creator space. If you've been following Music Tectonics for a while, um, you might remember that in 2019, our inaugural conference, the focus was really on recorded music. Then in 2020, when we went online and everyone was wondering about live streaming, uh, we added live streaming and live music in general to the conference lineup. This year, we're adding a third arm of the music industry, music creation. So we're getting a lot of great support on this from some leaders like BandLab. You, you heard from Men Kwok of BandLab recently. Um, any conversation with him is pretty mind-blowing. Uh, yes. We also have um, Native Instruments and Lander, the AI mastering app. You're going to be hearing from they're, them. Oh, they're not just mastering, too. And they, right, they have actually right. a bunch of creator tools as well right. that are pretty so, from samples and things yeah. like that, some other... Yeah. Yeah. So this is a um, this is a really 
um, exciting space and uh, we've been interested in watching it grow and we're so excited to have more on this topic at the conference and on the podcast coming up. Speaking of live music, which <laughs> do you like that Love segue? <laughs> oh my gosh, live music. What in the world is going on? I oh, wow. my heart breaks for promoters, presenters, yeah. artists, yeah. Uh, all the crew because, you know, we had the Hot Back Summer yeah. Festival started to announce. Mm-hmm. Everything was well, picking up steam. The, yeah, <laughs> everyone is super excited yeah. and then Oh my gosh, yeah. like then the Delta hit mm-hmm. and now we're looking at a really interesting, crazy patchwork yeah. of mandates, uh, canceled tours, festivals that happen and like Lollapalooza mm-hmm. don't end up being, um, you know, super spreader right. events. Thank goodness. You have some that do end up being super spreader events. It just seems to be such a mixed bag and everyone's trying to sort of feel their way forward in the dark right. without having much of an idea right. I think everyone, of what's going to help. Everyone was hoping that, um, that some of those initial events would serve as models. Um, but it just, you're right. The patchwork approach um, seems to have rained and nothing seems to have come up on top yet. Yeah, it's yeah. heartbreaking. The major tour cancellations, those kind of things really uh, knock the wind out of the sails. So, I, I mean, I think that has a, a dampening effect even, you know, f- you know, of course, when Garth Brooks cancels his tour, his fans are disappointed and it gets complicated. But then you look further down the, um, you know, to like an emerging artist who maybe mm-hmm. is playing um, playing around Nashville. And when people hear that Garth Brooks has canceled his tour, do they really want to go out and hear this exciting new artist play in a venue? I mean, I, Nashville's been great about um, mandating, I believe they've mandated vaccines in all their venues mm-hmm. and, and, and masking and all that. So a lot of the venues have done better works than the states are in. Mm-hmm. But that said, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, it, it's like, it's really sad because artists are both hankering to get out there and play for the people that love their music. But they're also, you know, that they're, they're, they're struggling. Um, right. And it's just really, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. So hopefully we'll get to talk about some of the things to look forward to at Music Tectonics. We always try oh, to take a more hope. constructive um, approach. Um, yes. So grieving grieving the present may be, may be valuable too. Um, so, but, and, and, you know, everyone was kind of wondering what would happen with live streaming. And it feels like that's still going to remain kind of undecided and in the air until mm-hmm. we actually get settled into a more regular uh, rhythm with live yes. music. Yes, it's going to be super interesting how uh, individual artists decide to continue to incorporate live stream into their into their schedule, into the ways that they interact with fans. Uh, but um, I, yeah, I really hope we can get to that point where we've got uh, touring for the artists who, who want to keep touring um, and live streaming uh, as part of that ecosystem instead of a replacement. The other last thing, I mean, I always love to talk about licensing. Speaking of heartbreak, <laughs> I mean, I, I heard once from uh, from a CEO in a, a music, a B two B music company that is involved a, a lot with publishing. That you know, he basically knows that sooner or later he's going to get sued, and oh, um, wow. we've seen ongoing evidence of that lately. Um, and most recently from, I'm sorry, sorry guys, but from Bang Energy Drinks. 
Um, and this was this was not the only case of this, where uh, a brand got sued for using music on so in a social media campaign mm. that they thought they had that they had licensed for other purposes. So, um, trying to figure out the complexities of music licensing, even for pretty well-established brands who are probably using very reputable agencies, mm-hmm. remains difficult. It's it's just, uh, it's really sad. Or another uh, case I think that was widely um, mourned was there was a bot on Discord, a music Discord. bot. Yeah, yes. R.I.P. Groovy. Groovy. Yeah, and, and folks really enjoyed uh, what Groovy brought to their um, Discord servers. Yeah. And now it's like, how did this happen in 2021 that it's it's and I'd love if, hey, actually, listeners, if somebody out there can explain exactly um, where uh, Groovy went wrong, that I would love to hear it. So (laughs) drop us an email or, um, you know, even send a voice recording if you want to. Um, My understanding of it from using Groovy uh, just a little bit is that, uh, um, you know, YouTube allows for at least sharing, social sharing, right? That you can uh, easily uh, tweet a link to a YouTube video and have it play in that platform. Uh, And so Groovy used this, you know, used uh, YouTube's API to allow people to basically automate doing that, you know, add this to our playlist and uh, people can can basically create a playlist within Discord uh, collaboratively and then have it play on um, on audio meetups. And um, the, I think it's that gray area between mm-hmm. between using YouTube's share function and automating something and bringing it into a different environment. Um, I'm not entirely, I mean, YouTube says that this breaks uh, the terms of their, you know, their, their terms and conditions um, because they are not supposed to. Um, it's probably public performance is where it gets uh, snagged yeah, because exactly. you're playing it for multiple people in a mm-hmm. quote unquote public or quasi public yeah. Space. Um, so, so specifically modifying the service and using it for commercial purposes because Groovy does have a premium level. Um, you oh, can use Groovy. Man. Yeah, you can use uh, um, you can install uh, Groovy for free. Um, but there was um, there was a way that they were they were monetizing it. So just a, just a word to the wise out there: if you're starting a new uh, music service and you're using an API from a well-established other platform. Like really dig in deep and try to find somebody who can yeah. can can inform you about how likely it is that you'll get shut down. Yeah, it sounds like Groovy was a real sort of cottage operation that it started out as a personal project. Um, I mean, Got Discord it. is full yeah. of you know, Discord's oh yeah, are for tinkerers, right? Um, and so it started as a personal project, and I bet it just grew from um, people working on it uh, uh, organically and um, probably never. Um, never vetted by by uh, music lawyers, um, but yeah, yeah social music. Yeah. Uh, social music. We mentioned it before, and um, when we we're talking about um, the way audio silos are breaking down, and the way things like Clubhouse show how interested people are in social audio of lots of different kinds, but we still haven't seen anyone crack that social audio nut. Yeah, it seems to be. Well, I've, I've actually asked. Um, some folks that were thinking very hard about uh, social music for their own uh, commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. And one of the the interesting insights I got was that the way people socialize around music in general, we're not talking about like the serious, you know, music obsessed minority, you know, that 1% of fans that are just like, 
do love to be like, oh, you you have you heard this or, you know, trade tracks back and forth or, um, you know, really, really obsessed about the music itself. Uh, if you're talking about people that are more see, see music from more of an entertainment lens, mm. most of what you do at a live music event isn't really around the music. Like you kind of listen, but most of it's like talking to your friends, mm-hmm. right? So, and and the ambiance, the, the being in that space where there's music happening, it, it adds an energy to the social experience that, you know, is great, but it's not really about the music. Mm-hmm. So just like the opera, right? It was never really about the <laughs> opera. It was about going and putting on your fabulous frock and um, seeing who was with whom and, Those you know, what was going on. are for looking at the audience, not for looking at the singers. Exactly. So... You know, in some ways, a lot of the fan-centric platforms may have more of a future if we're talking about uh, social social activity. Right. And they also may lead to some discovery, right? There's right. always going to be that forward-thinking fan that's like, yeah, I love Blackpink, but you really need to check out this new group, or there's a solo project, or mm-hmm. there's this or that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of... I think, I think in some ways, we may crack it via fandom mm-hmm. as opposed oh, to really straight up, like... You know, because there are already ways to share music for the diehard music obsessed person, of which I count myself (laughs) one. Um, And, you know, sending playlists to people and stuff like that. And then they send something back Mm -hmm. and, you know, and you, you know, you can do this all via text. Mm -hmm. So that's how we do it at the office. Why would I? Yeah. Why would I go to a separate platform? I mean, you really would have to add for the, uh, you know, and then for the sort of general folks who are like, yeah, music's nice and I like to listen to this or that. Like, it's it's not necessarily going to be, um, you know, th- they can socialize in other formats. And mm. um, I don't know. Yeah, are you aware of a fandom engagement platform that's added lis- music listening? I'm curious if that's on the way I, or if... That's a good question. Yeah, or if I that's mean, just the next step, right? That, uh, well, I know there, there are platforms like, there's uh, services like Vertigo mm-hmm. that now are really focused on artist lounges. Mm. And those can be whether it's artist themed lounges that fans initiate or um, the artist is actually going to chime in on chat and be like, hey, party people, you know, <laughs> here's my new remix or whatever um, that. So so they've you know, they actually were originally a social media app and they're, they're focusing on something else. So, interesting. Um, yeah, it's a really, really interesting um really interesting space so I, I think the fans are the key mm-hmm. and understanding how fandom works and why people engage with music mm-hmm. no one's quite gotten there but I think you're I think you're right if they start adding music listening we might see some really interesting developments especially if it combines with the creative your fans creativity we were talking about how fandom has always been mm-hmm. about or at least internet fandom has always been about fans expressing themselves fans expressing their love and artists creatively. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, to see that circular economy, what we were taught, creator economy, how that, uh, yeah. how that evolves with social music too. Well, thanks for uh, nerding out with me, Eleanor. It's this always was a pleasure to nerd out with you, whether it's about, uh, <laughs> whether it's about Mongolian theater or uh, Indiana folklore. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to mention um, Genghis Khan on this podcast. Oh, oh. I just did. There we Uh-oh. go. Um, take a shot, everybody. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll be back next week with more fun conversations, not with just me and Eleanor, but with other interesting leaders and thought leaders in the music tech world, um, music tectonics. 
we have so much planned this summer. It's it's going to be amazing and into the fall. So I hope I'll see everybody at Music Tectonics online from October 25th to October 27th. And if you are up to come to LA on November 2nd, I will be there for the in-person event. I think, Trista, you will be too, won't you? Fingers crossed. Yes. Yes, that is the hope. It sound, I'm, I'm really excited to be um, released from the Midwest on parole for a short period. And it'll be really awesome to ride a carousel. Yes, I can't wait. I mean, also talk to all these, all you wonderful people. You know, I'm not just going I to I mean, ride a ride carousel, carousel while talking about music tech. It's the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> I mean, what, mm-hmm. the, the dream come true. That's so true. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We are thrilled to announce that Will Page and Vicki Nauman will sit down for a fireside chat at Music Tectonics 2021 conference. Will Page just came out with an amazing book, Tarzan Economics, that distills essential principles for pivoting through disruption. He's learned those lessons through 20 years of watching the rise and fall of the music industry's fortunes as former chief economist at Spotify and other leading companies. Come to Music Tectonics to get Will's insights on how the pandemic accelerated disruptions to the music industry and what's next on the horizon. He'll be in conversation with Vicki Nauman, tech-savvy consultant and music industry connector. Will and Vicki's fireside chat will be part of the online conference October 25th to 27th. But don't forget, one ticket also lets you join safe in-person events on November 2nd in Los Angeles. Get your Music Tectonics ticket at musictectonics.com. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We put out new episodes every week. Want more? Find it at musictectonics.com. You can dig deeper into this episode, learn about our annual conference, get the Music Tectonics app, and sign up for our newsletter. MusicTectonics.com has it all. Also, look for Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. And connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, on LinkedIn. Peace. You're listening to Music Tectonics.